It's Monday, March 25th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Rex Moore sitting in for Chris Hill today. Joining me in studio, our crack team of analysts from Motley Fool Supernova, Matthew Argersinger, and from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser. Welcome, guys, on a snowy spring day in our nation's capital. Happy snow day. (laughs) Wait a minute. You're not Chris. On today's show, Apple's not giving up on maps, a salute to Dollar General, and Ford's incredibly distasteful advertising. But we begin with a late-night bailout in Cyprus. Guys, you'll remember last week the country's parliament rejected the idea of taxing all bank depositors there, including the small guys. Uh, That did not go over well, but it looks like the deal now, a 30 to 40 percent tax on everyone with over 100,000 euros in the banks. Ouch. Most everyone, I believe, is probably breathing a sigh of relief about this deal, unless you're a Russian with a lot of money (laughs) in a Cypriot (laughs) bank. Matthew, you say that this is exactly what should have happened, though. Well, something like this is what should happen. Anytime you're, you have uninsured deposits at a bank or investment institution, and that investment institution goes under, usually you're not guaranteed to get your money back. Uh, and that is exactly what's happening. A- anyone who has accounts over a hundred thousand euros, a hundred thirty thousand dollars roughly, you know, you're, you're going to be susceptible to a massive haircut somewhere in the range of 30 to 40 percent. Yes. I guess. But, you know, this is this is what should happen. I mean, in a lot of ways, these banks were almost like hedge funds or masquerading as hedge funds masquerading as banks. And they made some really bad investments in Greek debt, European debt, a few other things. Uh, and they need a bailout. Uh, so the question is, who's going to bail them out? ECB, the Eurozone saying, no, this is we're not we're not writing any more checks to Cyprus. We're not writing more checks to anyone. Really, from now on, the, you know, the banks themselves, the depositors, the deposit base is going to have to bail the bank out. Uh, if anything, this looks really good for U.S. banks. Because if you think about it, if I'm a, if I'm a wealthy person looking to you know, make a deposit in, in a European bank, I'm a lot scared about, I'm very scared about doing that right now. If I have, you know, if I have accounts... Because in, it may spread, do you think? I, well, it, it may not spread, but it, it's established a precedent. So that if I have an account in, in France, uh, Portugal, Spain, you know, and uh, you know, the, Euro, the Euro crisis continues to worsen, I'm going to be worried about my deposits, and so where do I go? Well, I can go to the U.S., where we now, after the after the billions of dollars in our own bailouts, we have a, a solvent banking system. We have creditworthy banks. This is probably where I'm going to go if I'm a wealthy uh, European banker. Okay, and so with the deal, the disorganized bankruptcy was one of the terms that may have happened had the bailout not occurred. Other winners and losers, Jason. Well, I mean, I think that the Cypriot people are, they're losers for sure in the Uh. sense that they don't really have a country that can establish a banking system, you know, worth a hoot. I mean, it's a shame that, that this is happening, but I, I think that Maddie's right. This is just really one solution, uh, but there were no good solutions. I mean, this is just an awful situation, really, any which way you cut it. Something had uh, to be something done. Something had to be done. I mean, this, let's be very clear here. I mean, he's, he's right. This is, not, it's not like this is, the Cypriot banks have been doing this for a long time. I mean, they've been making themselves very attractive, uh, a very attractive place for for big depositors to go in and take a little extra risk in the the higher rate of return that those banks were offering. Uh, they they've been doing this for a number of years, and so uh, it's just you know making the headlines now because it failed. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is going to be something that uh, it definitely makes our banking system look better because of the fact that there is at least some transparency. I know that many would still. 
like to disagree with that. But but when you look at it comparatively speaking, there is some. Uh, but also some security there. I mean, we can deposit our money in banks. I mean, there's there is a reasonable amount of risk to be taken in certain instruments. And I think really when we're looking for for uh, to maximize our rate of return, we're going to be turning to the stock market where there are no guarantees. Obviously, you can you can lose every bit that you invest there. But but with banks, uh, there is a level of trust implied there and a level of security. And that that's going to take a long time, really, I think, for the Cypriot people to feel like they have that back. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. The, the country is certainly going to take a big wallop right. uh, I think in GDP. From f- this. Yeah, right. Fifty percent of their GDP is related mm-hmm. to these financial yeah. transactions. That's just going to they're going to get crushed over the next few years. And, you know, I mean, I, I told uh, we were talking about this, I think, last week. And I, I think that even beyond banks, I think that investors are always wise to take a look at insurance companies. Uh, they're, they're managed a little bit differently because they because insurance companies are overseen by state insurance companies. Uh, insurance uh, overseers and so there is there is a, a modicum of risk there but it's it's uh you know when you find insurance companies that can take advantage of that float the premiums that they get paid uh they invest that money over time uh, because they're not having to pay out those claims all at once and so what that's why we push those companies like markel and, and berkshire hathaway because they have these investing teams that over time have just really generated phenomenal returns and so that's another alternative to banks and i think that uh, really well-run insurers will win out of this because I think that more people will give them a look as an alternative to banks. All right, good bottom line for investors. And we'll move along now to Apple, which is parting with a very, very, very small sliver of its war chest, $20 million to buy. Wi-Fi Slam. <laughs> Wi-Fi Slam, a company that specializes in indoor GPS tracking. And this is certainly to help it fight back against Google, which already offers indoor mobile maps of things like shopping malls, airports. Now, people may be wondering what, why, what's going on with this. I think one thing is it could be tied to advertisers who would... You know, love to know you're walking by their store in the mall or what have you. What's your bottom line on this? Yeah, no question. It's it's tied to advertising to a degree. I mean, I think that that's what we've seen with uh, Google uh, Maps up to this point. You know, they've they've basically uh, wiped Rand McNally off the map, so to speak, in, yeah. in the <laughs> convenience of of maps on on their phones uh, and and really, you know, even on the on the iPhone. But but really, uh, maps are where it's at. And so with with this acquisition, it's not the size of the boat here uh, that matters, but it's the implications of of what it you know means for Apple going forward. We know that they're going to continue to pursue this maps uh, initiative and and I think that you know I I've always been one who felt like they didn't really need to do this. This was not really something that was uh you know their their biggest proficiency. Uh I but understand they why they want to do it. Right? I well yeah, I mean I understand why they want to do it. I I don't necessarily agree that they need to do it. I think that it's probably taking their attention off of other bigger uh bigger fish maybe out there, but uh but there's no question they're going to continue pursuing it. And so if they're going to do it, I mean they need to continue to iterate, iterate, iterate and improve on a constant basis. They really need to figure out a reason uh to get someone to switch over from Google Maps. I mean it, like I I personally I mean I think we have a good sort of uh, dichotomy here in the <laughs> studio. Matt, I know Matt Matt likes uh, Apple Maps. I mean, I, I was always... I have uh, both of them I, on my phone. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a Google Maps guy, but a lot of that is just behavior that's been dictated over time. I'm used to mm-hmm. it, right? And there's no real reason for me to switch from it. But, you know, if Apple can really uh, develop a great product out of this, well, maybe it maybe it makes that ecosystem even more powerful and certainly encourages more people to buy the iPhones and iPads uh, in the years to come. Well, this I think this makes Google look pretty good. I mean, Google, I didn't know this, but Google Maps is actually the second most popular app in the world, uh, right behind Facebook. And 
I think it just says, you know, hey, Apple recognizes there's just this humongous opportunity in maps. I mean, and we, we, we've known this for a while. And so they're, they're continuing to pursue it. The acquisition itself is interesting. I mean, it, we're, we're talking about 0.01% <laughs> of Apple's cash, $120 billion of, you know, cash. Um, this is only $20 million. But, you know, it reminds me a little bit. Um, this is a little bit of a stretch, so bear with me here. But it reminds me a little bit of what Starbucks did. Uh, last year, buying La, La Boulange, which which is a very small acquisition for them, it's it's a, you know a, ba- a few bakeries out in San Francisco essentially. But what they did was they acquired kind of a, a a type of product that they can now extend across their entire network of stores. And Apple, you know, makes this acquisition looks very tiny, but at the same time, if they can develop into a product that becomes a hit on the iPhone, iPad, or you know, in general, um, that, that, that could be it could be huge. I mean, this is a small bet that could pay off massively in the future. And we look back at the, when Apple's Maps first launched, and it was a debacle, right? I mean, there there definitely were more inaccuracies than in Google Maps. Is all, has all of that blown over now? I, I don't think it necessarily has completely blown over. More or less it has. I mean, the stock has obviously taken a, a tremendous hit since all of that uh, started out. And there really wasn't – the stock getting killed is not just a, a product of the Maps failure. I mean, there were right. there are some questions, obviously, of growth prospects for the iPhones and everything going forward. But, you know, we talk about it all the time here. This, these device makers, that's, that's the trouble with being a device maker. So, you know, on the one hand, you look at something like an Apple or a Google that make devices, but, you know, ostensibly go – they transcend devices into more things that we use on those devices devices. Uh, and even on its bad day, I think Apple is still doing pretty well. But, you know, on the other side there, you look at something like a BlackBerry, which is really just one security breach away from total irrelevance. I mean, think <laughs> about it. Like, there is really no reason. I mean, anybody who th- who actually thinks, I, I, I'm, anybody who really thinks that BlackBerry is going to be unseating Apple or Google in this device war is just, in my mind, delusional. That is a product that literally just has no future. And and so when you look at these these behemoths in Apple and Google, they're going to continue to duke it out. Ultimately, we win as consumers, no question Big there. Time. And and I still stand by. If you want to really win as an investor, you buy just equal shares of of Apple and Google and just kick back and watch because because it'll end up doing pretty well, I think. All right, let's move now to Dollar General. That retailer reported earnings that wrapped up a very fine 2012. Uh, they beat earnings. The revenue may be slightly below expectations, but still uh, the stock is up. Now, I kind of compare this. That's the low end of retail. Tiffany, the high end, last week also reported great earnings. What does this say about the retail sector? Right. It's inter- We were talking before the show. You know, it's interesting. I feel like the top end's doing great. We know that. The low end is probably doing okay. I mean, you know, the Dollar General's got some great results calling for, for higher same store sales going forward. It's kind of this middle area, the middle retailers. Like we saw Target kind of had some bad results. We've seen bad results out of, of apparel companies like Express and American Eagle. You know, so consumers on the very low buying, buying lots of food, buying a lot of cheap household goods on the high end, you know, fancy Tesla motor car, you know, cars and, and diamond, you know, diamond earrings from Tiffany's, but everywhere in the middle, there's a, there's a struggle, which and unfortunately that is the biggest segment of the of the retail customer base in the U.S. So that's it's an interesting uh, perspective right now. It is, and I, looking at these dollar stores, I'm I'm a little bit uh, I I don't I don't like them really for the long term. I think they're just I don't I, I don't I think that they're becoming mitigated more and more as time goes on. And the main reason why I think that's the case is if we if we look at the greater trend of online retail, while it's still such a small sliver of overall retail sales out there. 
what that also tells us is it's doing nothing but growing and there's a lot of room for it to go. And so I think that the more devices that get out in people's hands and the more online retail options that come out there. And I mean, obviously Amazon is, is the, is the big one, but I mean, you're looking at, at all sorts of companies that are really focusing on investing heavily into their online operations, whether it's Dick Sporting Goods or Nordstrom or Williams Sonoma. All of these companies are really taking advantage of that online space and really investing in it now because they know that for years to come, it's going to really dominate. And what this ultimately means is just more options for consumers out there. So it doesn't surprise me when I see something like a Dollar General and sales of seasonal goods and home products and apparel declining. Well, that figures because there are a lot of options out there today. And with those options come lower prices. And so it's, you know, it's not, it's not, it, it, it's not inconceivable to think that this dollar stores will be just completely phased out over. Well, over the next, I, I um, would, I push back that with Blackberry. Oh, sorry. Oh, there you go. Blackberry. Yeah. We always have to throw Blackberry under the bus. It's yeah. like traditional show, but I, I think there is a little room for, for stores like this only because I, I think of the person who, who's, you know, Earning an hourly wage, maybe getting you know gets gets a paycheck and needs to buy food on a Friday or you know as as he's he or she is going home. That, there's a room for these stores, I think, in, in the economy. Yeah, there is room for it. I agree in the market, but I don't know that there's uh, room for as many of the options that we have between is it what Family Dollar, Dollar General, Big Lots, all of those kind of. Yeah, uh, yeah I think it's a, a bit of a jumbled mess right there, and I think that you'll find uh, that that really the the best operators in the space. Uh, Will be the ones to be able to take. Yeah, I was surprised. The I mean, there. Dollar General has ten thousand five hundred stores. Wow. That seems that's huge. Yeah. I, I had no idea they were that large. Not the most uh, pleasant experience going into those things. I, I've never been to Dollar General, but I've been to a Big Lots once. <laughs> Way to generalize there, Jason. Okay, let me put you guys on the spot. And if you're an investor interested in retail, what what do we see over the next year or so? Hmm. Well, you know, I. I I really do actually at this point in the time, I like Coach a lot. I think that Coach out, out there today represents one of the most opportunistic uh, opportunities for investors today because the stock is getting hammered on concerns of, you know, competition out there from the likes of Michael Kors. Uh, understandable. And the thing is with these retailers is it's not a zero sum game and you're not, you're not looking for, you know, one to, to wipe the floor with the other. But when you have a company like Coach that's selling anywhere in the neighborhood of, of 12 to 14 times earnings, this is just a superior operator out there. There are concerns I understand with Lou Frankfurt stepping down from the CEO role, but let's remember he's going to be still involved with the company. And when you have the team together that he's assembled, uh, Reed Krakoff and, uh, I mean, Victor Luis who's going to take over the CEO position soon. You know, there are a number of reasons why I think Coach is a superior company uh, compared to something like a Michael Kors. But when I think that you look at the the, the stock today, it doesn't. It's not representative of of really uh, the cash that it can generate. So I like Coach. I think that Amazon is one that belongs in probably everybody's portfolio simply because just Jeff Bezos is building out the infrastructure uh, to really change the retail space over over the rest of our lifetimes, at least for sure. I, I like the I still like the the home space, not so much home goods, but the you know the home renovation space. So I think Home Depot, Lowe's are still going to do very well um, over the next few years. I look at smaller plays in that space though, lumber liquidators, tile shop. You know these are somewhat Amazon proof businesses, right? I mean we can't can't go to Amazon and order Showroom. hardwood floors or <laughs> right. So I feel like those those are the companies that that space of the retail uh, industry is going to do pretty well. And finally. You won't believe this. The Indian unit of Ford is apologizing. They had some ads for the Ford Figo subcompact, and to show how much room is in the car, 
they produced some advertising posters with caricatures of bound and gagged women, very scantily clad. In the back of the hatchback, one of them showed former Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi in the front seat. Another has Paris Hilton in the front seat looking at the Kardashians in the back. (laughs) What? Now, this is... To be clear, this was an advertising agency, not Ford itself. It's not clear if Ford knew about these posters, which were leaked on the Internet. But still, what are they thinking? You know, it's it's really hard to say. This is a WTF moment. It really (laughs) is. I mean, it is a WTF moment. I mean, on the one hand, it's obviously no laughing matter. uh, But I think also if you Google the pictures and actually see these are caricatures, they are pretty funny looking, and to really think that something like this could get out there is almost laughable. Well, I almost, I, I was, I picture Alan Mulally, he's, he's looking at the, you know, the, the models, and he's like, oh, oh yeah, I'm signing off on yeah, this. I mean, yeah. no way! I mean, there's no, no way! way. But, I mean, it, but I think it does really show, uh, you know, it, it shows us as investors the, the risk that's inherent with these big companies that have a multinational presence. There are points of control that get out of the executive team's hands, right? There is a level of trust that they take with suppliers, with advertising agencies, whatever it may be. And whether it's a Lululemon deal with a supplier <laughs> out in Taiwan or, you know, a Ford deal with their, their you know, presence in India. I mean, there are things that slip through the cracks here. Definitely- this, was, this was obviously a, a big mistake and, and um, one that, yeah, I, I commend them for getting out in front of it. So That's, yeah, a great point. I mean, there's, there's lots of brand risk when you're a big global brand brand and the fact that if you look at some of these pictures that the Ford the Ford logo is on them already yeah, that that's brutal. that was a that was a big mistake I yeah. think I mean and the fact you know this if this gets in front of someone you know who's thinking about buying a Ford there's going to be some second thoughts here yeah, for sure. no doubt and, and I mean by the same token we need to commend the leadership teams for getting out in front of it so quickly and I said the same thing about Lululemon I mean that's obviously a mess but but you know they get out there and, and own it and, and try to make it right that's a big deal I mean it's when you have these companies with leadership teams start trying to play the blame game mm-hmm. nobody wants to hear that mm-hmm. they don't care who's at fault they just want it to be righted and so that's good that they're doing it Matthew Arger Singer from Motley Fool Supernova. Jason Moser, Motley Fool One, thanks for joining us today, guys. Thank you, Thanks, Rex. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. I'm Rex Moore, and we'll see you next time.